Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now your hosts, Bela Sebro. She's the nice one. And Alan Skorsky. Uh, he's not so nice. But together they are the definitive rap. I'm Alan Skorsky with my co-host Bela Sebro, and welcome to the definitive rap where we discuss the news items the mainstream media just won't touch. The Definitive Rap is proud to be the official podcast of VinNews.com. Well, here we are, the last Sunday before Pesach and two days before Israel's fourth election in two years, where Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu has served since 2009. Bibi has led Israel during two Obama administrations and a Trump administration, while Israelis are about to determine if he will serve through a Biden administration. His primary challengers are coming from former friends within the Likud party, Gideon Saar and Naftali Bennett, and also Yair Lapid, the telegenic former radio broadcaster who represents the center-left. Israel's parliamentary system, unlike the American electoral process, is more complex and involves building coalitions to form a government. When that majority is slim, as has been in the past, the smaller parties sway a lot of power and control for their interests because they can withdraw from the coalition, leading to a collapse of the government, requiring yet again new elections. Today's guest is a good friend of our show from Netanya, Israel, and our go-to guy on Israeli politics and news to educate us on what looms ahead for this Tuesday. Bela? Thank you, Alan. So, yes, Israel is heading to the polls this Tuesday for the fourth time in two years. Prime Minister since 2009, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, hopes that Israel's world-leading vaccination program will give him an edge. But he does have enemies. And those enemies want to push him out of office. And in case people are wondering what will happen, thus far the polls show that neither bloc has a strong route to a majority. And as it stands, many Israelis are bracing for another inconclusive result and maybe even a fifth election. Our brilliant guest today on the definitive wrap, who will explain it all in detail, is Barry Shaw, who is also our Israel correspondent. We are honored to welcome Barry Shaw from Israel's Senior Fellow at the Israel Institute for Strategic Studies. He regularly contributes to various media outlets, including the Jerusalem Post, and a frequent speaker at conferences and pro-Israel advocacy events. Barry Shaw has been a staunch defender of Israel in the public diplomacy arena for decades and has initiated the creation of several pro-Israel grassroots groups. He has a keen following of tens of thousands of people globally and is the author of Israel Reclaiming the Narrative, Fighting Hamas, BDS and Anti-Semitism, and his most recent book, BDS for Idiots, employs ridicule as new method of countering BDS activists and repudiating their slander against Israel with facts and humor. Barry, welcome back again. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Israel. Thank you, Bella, and uh, thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me. 
Uh, Barry, why is Israel holding so many elections? And for our listening audience also, how do Israeli elections work? Oh, have you got a couple of hours? Okay. Well, look, let me start by saying this. Look, you have problems over there with your two-party system. Oh, yes, we do. (laughs) We certainly Uh, have our problems, you know. But, uh, yeah, we want to know how the Israeli elections work. Yeah, it seems to us that some over here, that some people over there actually prefer a one-party system. But here we have a democracy on steroids with, (laughs) with, you believe it, 39 parties have registered to run in this election. And according to the latest poll, there could be as many as 12 going into the Knesset. So try coping with that with your two-party system over there. Uh, but as, I, as you quite rightly said, um, really nobody in Israel wanted this election. I just want to correct you and Alan on one thing. Actually, Benjamin Netanyahu first became prime minister back in 1996, and he served 14 years in office on and off in that time. But you're quite right in saying that this year is facing numerous challenges uh, and the things he's got uh, whirling around his head is the management or mismanagement of the uh, corona uh, pandemic over here, which has upset a lot of people. In fact, on Saturday night, there were various demonstrations in uh, Jerusalem, uh, ranging uh, from about uh, 20,000 people who have been very upset by a lot of things that have happened there. So you can see there's a lot of chaos going on at a very depressing time in Israel. So if you, if, go ahead, Bear. I just wanted. I was reading that, like as you just pointed out, that there were rallies of twenty to thirty thousand people. And what I'm wondering is because I've seen other comments on social media, um, are the rallies just because of COVID, or do you have a whole cadre of different groups coming together? Some because of COVID, some because they're from the left, some because they hate him for other reasons, or is this really all about COVID? And can he make the legitimate claim that Israel now is, according to reports, leading the world in um, vaccinations and um, be, being able to open up something that the Europeans cannot claim as reports are coming out that across Europe, they're, they're heading for another cl- shutdown again? Yeah, it depends how deeply you look at the uh, statistics over the coronas, whether Israel is doing good or not good. Um, but as, as for the people who were... Uh, uh, demonstrating uh, uh, on Saturday night, yes, quite a number from the left wing. Um, but, you know, with elections in two days' time or on the, on the 23rd, then uh, actually these people, if they set on the parties they're going to vote for, they didn't really need to protest. But a lot of people are protesting because they feel that their voices have been silenced. In fact, what's been gone over here in Israel is, yes, you know, uh, five million people have been uh, vaccinated we have a population of 9.3 million. So there has to be at least uh, uh, anywhere between 3 million or people like that who, for all sorts of reasons, uh, legitimate or otherwise, do not want to be vaccinated. Uh, And we've had a regime over here uh, where the police have been involved with regard to lockdowns, even the army. uh, And there has been a coercive sort of government over here which have employing Benjamin uh, Netanyahu has been threatening to oppose what's called a green passport, where Israelis are not allowed to go into shopping malls 
or theatres or cinemas or travel abroad unless you've been vaccinated. So a lot of people are feeling there's a coercion going on under the vaccination. Uh, although the government says it's not mandated, in fact, they're, under, uh, they're, they're acting as if it has been mandated. And people are being shamed and embarrassed. And it's almost like a lot of people feeling they're second-class citizens who are almost lepers in society because they're not allowed to or would not be allowed to go in. Now, the strange thing is we're talking about lockdowns and how essential it is. And they did close the airport. Uh, so the part of the cynicism can be seen that the airport, the, the government overruled the, the health experts by saying about a, less than a week ago, now opening the airports and pe people can come in and they started off with the limit of a thousand a day and then two thousand a day. And then just two days ago, they can say unlimited arrival into Israel. So it's, it simply appears at quite a cynical political point to allow BB to have people come in and, and uh, vote in the election. And then if the upkick happens and whatever the outcome of the election if uh, Bibi is still in power from, from uh, next uh, week onwards, uh, then he is free to reimpose the restrictions that he threatened up till now. And these things are disturbing people. So that's part of how this COVID, the coronavirus, is impacting the election. Bar uh, Barry, so you think the coronavirus definitely affected the election? Absolutely. Yeah. I think yeah, a, lot of people, a lot of people are very happy. A lot of people are saying, OK, I've been vaccinated. Thank goodness that BB gave us this, uh, this uh, vaccine. But a heck of a lot of people are saying, you know, we're the, Israel is simply participating in an experimental vaccination because people have read the contracts between uh, Pfizer and the Israeli government can see, and it's in, impacted also by the uh, FDA over there in America, that this isn't an approved and licensed vaccination. It's uh, for emergency use only. Uh, and this concerns people. Some people say, well, well, we can see within a few days what the impact is of the, the vaccination. Uh, and I was one of many that pointed out uh, February figures from the Israeli Ministry of Health in which uh, I can't remember the exact numbers right now, but it was something like out of 987, roughly that, COVID deaths in February, COVID deaths, the Israeli ministry said that of those, 78% were either people who had not been vaccinated at all or had been vaccinated once. They phased it that way to make it sound that if you weren't vaccinated, you were highly likely to be die of COVID. When I and some other researchers said, wait, 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 wait a minute, if 78% had been vaccinated at all or vaccinated once, surely that means that 22% died after being vaccinated twice. And that would make the figure 22% of almost 1,000 is about 227 or 240, 240 people who died after being vaccinated twice. So when you mention this on social media, on the radio over here, you're accused of being a fear monger with blood on your hands. And by quoting this, you, you're, you're killing people. And then I have to say, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm quoting the Israeli Ministry of Health figures here. So if somebody is guilty of being a conspiracy theorist, it's surely the Israeli Ministry of Health. And these are the sort of arguments that are going on in Israel right now. 
Barry, so then who three... are who are Netanyahu's main rivals this time around? Okay, let's get on to the election. Okay. Well, what we've got right now is uh, I'm going to give you some sort of figures. I'm not going to blind you with figures. So I just need your uh, viewers or listeners to realize how complicated uh, this system is going to be. So uh, according to the latest figures, and I did this in order for, for your program, and I've got one tiny simple piece of evidence that I picked up today just for you guys, is the, the latest figures was that Likud have gained a little bit as of uh, yesterday. They were covering at about 29 seats in the Knesset. They're now up to apparently 32 don't forget, in Israel, you need 120, there are 120 seats in the Knesset. And to create a majority, you need at least 61 seats in the Knesset. This is a figure to bear in mind. Um, so they could have 32, apparently not there. Yael Lapid is the, uh, is the, uh, the second uh, best candidate, so far numbers is concerned. He has the Yeshatid uh, uh, party at 18 seats. And he's been challenged by Naftali Bennett's Yamina right-wing party, which has gone down to nine. Guidon Saar, New Hope. Guidon Saar is, uh, left the Likud party because he had differences of opinion with, um, with Jimmy Netanyahu. His New Hope party is at, is at nine. Shas, the uh, 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 Mizrahi, the Safadi uh, religious party is eight. United Torah, which is basically the Ashkenazi uh, religious party at seven. Avigdor Lieberman's party is now ten with seven. Labour, by the way, Labour was the founding party of Israel. It's the Zionist party of Ben-Gurion, the founder of Israel. Uh, they were dead and buried. They were uh, not going over the threshold at all of getting any seats. But a radical left-wing uh, lady by Meirab uh, Micheli took over the party. She seems to have resurrected it, and they're on six seats. And then there's a whole bunch of parties on the threshold of making it or not making it, including uh, the party, Blue and White Party, the party of Benny Gantz, who was in a year ago was elected to, to power together with Benjamin Netanyahu, in what was then called a, a COVID coalition in order to pass a budget and, and help with the, the, the COVID pandemic uh, uh, thing that we have here. Well, it appears today that the guy who was the rotational prime minister a year ago may not make it into the next Knesset at all. Then we have a religious party, the religious Zionist, who really speaks up for the the settlers and the Jews living in Judea and Samaria, they're on about four. Also Merits, which is left of a left of a left-wing Labour Party. Merits, I would compare to the radical wing of the Democratic Party. That's so far left. Uh, and they're at four. So that's one conundrum. You have to get a couple together, a coalition of 61 seats from the parties going here. So... How about a, a coalition led by Benjamin Netanyahu? So if you take the parties that are pro, all this, all, the ele- all this election revolves around whether you're for BB or against BB. Okay, so you've got to look at the two blocks there. So very quickly, if you take the Likud party, the Shas party, the United Torah party, the religious Zionists, that's 52, as a, as a poll chunk right now, 
52 seats. That's short of a majority of 61. So then you say, well, would Naftali Bennett's party join a coalition in the BB? If he joined, that would give them 61 seats if you take his nine. So he'd have his majority. Now, Naftali Bennett said he hasn't joined or whether he would join, but past experience tells us that he doesn't trust BB. He's been burnt before in his political past by being a very able minister under Benjamin Netanyahu, who was a leadership. He was an education minister, he was a minister of defense. He's very good at economics and business. He's a millionaire from his past as uh, an innovator in the Israel high-tech industry. So could Bennett be a kingmaker here if Bibi gives him uh, an offer he can't refuse? So I've been looking at so what, are the, what are the things that Bibi or, or Bennett would actually demand of Bibi in order to go in with, uh, uh, with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu? And this comes down to what he would want would be what uh, what we call a parity government. What's a parity government? A parity government is a cabinet where there will be an equal number of ministers under Bennett as under Bibi. In other words, although he's only got like 10 seats, nine or 10 seats, and, and they could have like 30 seats, he would want the equal number of ministers to balance it. And also demand that he, Natalie Bennett, would have the sole power for to fire ministers under his control, gaining a, a, a veto in the Israeli cabinet. Now, would Bibi agree to that? I don't think it's very likely. Um, but anyway, and also they don't know, Bennett can't trust uh, Bibi if he will be double-crossed, as he did to Benny Gantt. So that's complicated on what side. So, of course, the speculation, by the way, if the religious Zionist group who represent the, the Jews of Judea and Samaria and other places don't make the cut, then we could get less than 30 seats. So where does that go? That doesn't go anywhere at all. So then you have to look at the anti-Bibi block. Where would, that, where would their votes come from? So without the Arabs... You end up with, uh, with the, the, the parties of Yair Lapid, Lieberman, uh, maybe Benny Gantz, maybe Gidon Saar, maybe Labour, maybe even Merritt. But if you get that, you arrive at 57, which again, is not a majority, still not enough. So would Bennett decide to sit with Lapid <clears throat> and therefore they would have something like 66, which is the majority? Well, not very likely, because Bennett comes from the right wing, and he would never agree to sit in a government with the far-left Merritt's party. Probably not. So, but also, if Merritt's doesn't make it over the threshold either, uh, what happens then? So it's all in the air, uh, all to play for. Barry, I had a couple of questions to ask you. You know, for many years, Bibi was considered like the Americanized prime minister. He opened up free markets, uh, technology. He wanted to, you know, kind of open Israel to a more modernism. Where did this, you know, people are using the word authoritar authoritarianism, um, yeah. the way he's running it, you know, Israel since COVID. Where did that come from since it's so unlike anything he's ever done before? And my other question following that is, 
You know, in America, we have the CDC and someone like Dr. Fauci, who's on the news every night. Does Israel have their own Dr. Fauci, who is either conflicting with what Bibi says or confirming what he says? Because Bibi is not a doctor. So where is all this coming from? And are there voices that are credible in Israel that are saying, you know, Bibi, you've gone too far, besides the political voices? Yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has been an exceptional leader for decades, basically. And he's positioned Israel very strongly in the world. He stood up to um, uh, our enemies in, in the Palestinians, uh, the Hezbollah, Hamas, Iran. Uh, he stood out against uh, uh, people who would prefer to take a more softly, softly line against Israel's enemies, uh, including, dare I say, at the, uh, an earlier administration under Obama, where he came to Congress and uh, demanded that uh, uh, Obama and America take a part off a line against Iran and Iran's nuclear deal, deal. He has, as you say, he's employed the free market economy and released the innovators for Israel to become a startup nation. Uh, and his uh, contribution to Israel in these and other diplomatic uh, issues, including the more recent Abram Accords, thanks to President uh, Trump, uh, also Benjamin Netanyahu, were taking secret trips to a lot of Arab nations, even in advance of uh, the innovations that came as a result of uh, President Trump's uh, Abram Accords. So he's, he, he deserves all the credit for this. But it seems to a lot of Israelis over the COVID issue that he has taken, as you said, Alan, a more authoritarian, some would say dictatorial thing, where, as I said, he seems to have isolated a uh, large minority of Israel who feel trapped by the rulings and the demands of, of Israeli uh, of uh, Benjamin of the Israeli government of Benjamin Netanyahu's demand that everybody be vaccinated, um, he has uh, ordered. We understand an initial uh, twenty-one million doses of vaccine for a, a nation of nine point three million. Um, it all seems rather strange to us, and we've seen him also. Uh, making uh, all sorts of arrangements with other European governments that they follow his lead and impose this green passport regulation, which would prevent their citizens from traveling outside their countries to come to Israel or other countries. So it seems that for Israelis saying, wait, 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 if I don't want to take the vaccine and there is no other remedy, health remedy to me, has my government stopped me traveling abroad to see my family that are abroad or even going on vacation? And the other thing that's happened, because I've been involved in this in parallel to researching uh, political and strategic affairs and national security issues, is, is the fact that what has happened over here, and I think it's happened over there in America as well, but certainly a lot of other countries, that my doctor and your doctor have been banned from treating me or you and other people, if we come down with COVID, or we can't go to our local doctor and say, I want to have some uh, prophylactic uh, 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 pill or something that would stop me getting infected with COVID, or can you give me something if I do, 
And they, they and what's happened over here is the Israeli Ministry of Health have demanded, have said, no, you cannot go to your local doctor to be treated with COVID, except he has to follow our rule, and our rule is the World Health Organization rule, of self-isolation and taking paracetamol. And only if you get worse, then your doctor can then organize for you to go for hospitalization and treatment there when your flu-like symptom becomes a pneumonia-type symptom and it becomes more dangerous to your health. And, and, and this is infuriating a whole body of people here in Israel. That the fact that the Israeli government is blocking our local doctor who took a sacred Hippocratic oath to do their sacred duty and look after their patient's best interest. I have another thing going on. I just want to end like this because I'll put it into your show. We have a professor here, Professor Eric Schwartz of Sheba Hospital, who is an expert in global health and tropical diseases. And he has been trying to get a major outpatient trial in here in Israel on a drug called ivermectin, which is being positively reviewed by several countries around the world. And he has not been allowed to be given permission to conduct a research for, uh, into this drug, which a lot of doctors and specialists, uh, scientists are saying could be the early stage drug that would stop us being seriously ill. And you have to, you have to ask yourself, why? Why, why is this that it, some people are saying it's criminal? In fact, there have been some cases being brought to the Israeli Supreme Court saying that by blocking our doctors from doing their sacred duty is, is against medical morals and efficacy and could be even criminal. And so these things are being questioned right now. Barry, um, Getting back to the uh, average average Israeli, yeah. Uh, my question is: um, How has the political deadlock affected the average Israeli citizen? Well, the average Israeli citizen is, as I said before, depressed and frustrated. And I, I want to tell you, I did a couple of pieces of little anecdotal research for you, the you guys today. Uh, I went to one of my favorite coffee shop, and I uh, was with a group of people there and asked them how they feel about the election, and they're all pretty angry about it. Um, and most of them were all talking about two hours virtually before the election. A lot of them are still very undecided. Um, in fact, later on, uh, I spoke to somebody else who has been telling me that a lot of their friends have been undecided but a lot of them now in the final days are coming down and actually supporting Benny Gantz. They blew up my party it's on the verge of extinction. So I wouldn't be surprised if I see them go from four or five seats up to about seven or eight seats, uh, which could swing. I mean, we're looking at razor margin, razor edge margins here as to who would be able to form a government or not. So that if, for instance, Benny Gantz is getting seats, uh, depends where he's getting them from. Is he getting it from Yale Pitt to his left? 
Or is he getting them from uh, Guidon Sal, which are basically the same political equation of them? Or are they getting them from Likud? Uh, that's up, up in the air right now. Uh, but those are the two anecdotal pieces of evidence that I could, I could give you uh, from today. Barry, we have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, are BB's opponents offering an alternative to the way he's handled COVID? <clears throat> I, it's a good question, and I really didn't want to bring it into the show, but I have been speaking to a, a couple of the campaigns, and I've said to them, you know, you could pick up perhaps a, an election-winning number of votes, up to a million or more, if your leader had said, we're all for vaccinations, nothing wrong with vaccinations, but those who are medically uh, not able to have vaccinated, or with or without that, we would, we would approve uh, Professor Schwartz having a major clinical outpatient trial on ivermectin, because if that's proven going forward, we won't be solely dependent, exclusively dependent on vaccinations, because it's not just you take two vaccinations of the mRNA uh, vaccine, because they're now telling us we're going to need a boost in another six months, and maybe another one six months after that. So we're going to be hooked on vaccinations for the rest of our life. I think that the public in Israel and elsewhere deserve an alternative. And if there's an alternative on something like a COVID pill, that's surely to the benefit of a lot of people, especially those who, for all sorts of health reasons, cannot or will not be vaccinated. Um, but none of, the, none of the parties have taken up of that. And I told one of them today, I'm not going to tell you which party, you know, your candidate has just gone down two in the points. What has he got to lose? Uh, but they said, no, they don't want to get drawn into this equation, which I think is Israel supposed to be a nation of initiatives and things like that. So that was my discussion with somebody from representing uh, one of the key candidates. Barry? I know you mentioned before that uh, there are going to be more elections. Do you think that there's a possibility that there will be a fifth election later on this year? I mean, this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to tell you, I, um, I'm going through the figures. And uh, to me, nothing really adds up. Nothing adds up. Unless there's a tectonic shift in the next day or two. Uh, I don't see it. I just want to tell your listeners also, your listeners, that, that basically the game isn't over uh, the day after the 23rd of March because you, the figures may be there, but the figures mean nothing. We're going to have a month of horse trading going on between the parties with give and take and what coalition can we put together Either with BB leading or with somebody else leading. So this game isn't. This game is going to drag on for a month. I think you're going to have me on your show again in about a month's time. Oh, but, please! You're always welcome. You're our Israel correspondent, and you're such an amazing guest. But, uh, but uh, we're actually out of time, Barry. <laughs> um, as always, thank you for agreeing to join us as our guest and being our Israeli correspondent for the Definitive Wrap. We thank our audience for tuning in and vinews.com for being their official podcast. Alan and I wish everyone Echa Kasher V'Sameach, Happy Passover, enjoy, be well. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap. 
with your hosts, Bela Sebro and Alan Skorsky. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can listen to The Definitive Rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.